Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. All right, how many of you are ready for the Word of God this morning? Amen. I'm, I'm happy and I'm sad and I'm excited and I'm remorseful. All of these things going on because this is it. This is the last day of the Multiply series. Man, we've been processing through the book of Acts for six months. We've been trying to figure out how did the early church respond to Jesus' call to, to multiply, to share the good news with everyone everywhere. In fact, last week we discovered that even though it appears that the book of Acts abruptly comes to a conclusion, truth be told, it's continuing through you and through me. See, we've got to take what the early church demonstrated, we have to take what the early church learned and put into motion, and now we, we the church of 2022, we have to begin to do what God has called us to do. Church, it's been too many, too many years that the church has sat on the sidelines and just done church. We've come in, and if you say, hey, what's church about? Well, church is Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 1045. Church is about coming in and sitting in a seat and hearing some guy preach. But that's not what church is about. Church is about allowing the Word of God to become so alive and real inside of our lives that we can't help but to tell those outside of these walls of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that we can't help but to tell those that are hurting, those that are broken, those that are lost, that there's a better way. It's not my job to do. It's not the staff's job to do. It's our job. The Bible says that my responsibility is to equip you, to give you opportunity to step up. Today, we're going to talk about being compelled to multiply. What does that mean for you? Well, let's look at the last words that we see in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. The last two scriptures in the entire book. It says, for the next two years... Paul lived in Rome on his own expense. He welcomed all visitors, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Now, what was it that caused Paul, and and quite honestly, even the early church, what caused them to be so effective? It was the passion that they had for God. It was a hunger and a longing that they had for God. In fact, a little more specifically, it was the fact that they sought the kingdom of God first and foremost. They sought after the promise that Jesus promised would come. What was that promise? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise, right? In fact, take a look at this. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, before Jesus ascended back to heaven, here's what he said to the early followers. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Let me, let me pause. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. In other words, there's an urgency. 
What, what I'm, I'm believing that you're going to accomplish, what I'm calling you to do, can only be done, come on, if you receive the Holy Spirit, if you allow the Holy Spirit to consume you, if you allow the Holy Spirit to be alive and well in your life. He says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, verse 5, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, the early church really didn't have an idea of what that meant. They had never heard of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you have come in here and, and you're new to the Assemblies of God circle. Maybe you're a guest this morning. You're hanging out. You're checking things out. In fact, if that's the case, I would encourage you, go back and listen to the previous messages. Grab a hold of the, the fullness of who the Holy Spirit is because some of us come into this place and we have these preconceived ideas of who the Holy Spirit is. Oh, we've heard, well, if you, if you receive the Holy Spirit, then you're going to swing from chandeliers. If you look up this morning, we have fluorescence. No chandeliers. Oh, if you, if you feel the Holy Spirit, you're going to roll around in the aisles. No one's rolling anywhere. But we're allowing all that God is, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, to so consume our lives that we're willing to be used by him to multiply, to share the good news, to reach the lost, to invest in the broken, to share love with the unlovable. They had no idea what all this meant, but Jesus has this way of giving us what we need in that moment. And he gave them a calling. He said in verse 8, there's an expectation here. He says this, but you will receive power. Come on, he doesn't say when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, there's a possibility that something may stir in you. No, no, no. He says, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. That word power is the same word that we get our word dynamite. It's dunamis. It's explosive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my, say it with me, witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is simply somebody that's telling their account of what's happened in the moments. Let me ask you a question. Has Jesus done something in your life? Come on. Has Jesus done something in your life? Some of you are a little scared to answer that because you know what my next statement is going to be. If Jesus has done something in your life, then you are called by God to be a witness. You'll be witnesses for me. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus didn't go into full detail here about what all would happen. He simply said, go and wait. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you've got a job to do. I believe that he's telling you and I the same today. He says, I've made this promise available. I've poured out my Holy Spirit for you. Now, here's the question. 
what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this newfound power? What are you going to do with this newfound ability? What are you going to do with the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Now, some of you were here and you said, I haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet. I want to challenge you. Seek after the Holy Spirit. Seek after the fullness that God has for you. How do you receive the gift? Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Begin to worship him. Begin to praise him. Begin to long for him. And I'm telling you what, God will show up. It's a promise, the Holy Spirit. Now some of us have been told, well, the Holy Spirit's not for today. It was just for Bible times. Let me, let me correct that, that false theology. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39 says it this way. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. That's those in the Bible, right? And for all who are, say it with me, far off. Guess what? We're far off. That's who we are. That means that the Holy Spirit is for you and for me today. That promise is for us. The question is, are we going to allow it to compel us forward in our walk with Christ, in our Christian witness? That's what Paul did. Our text today tells us that even though he was on house arrest for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, he didn't stop telling everyone everywhere what Jesus had done for him. And here's the cool thing. He goes on to say this, and no one tried to stop him. There were guards at the door. There were guards on the inside. They were making sure that Paul didn't escape, but yet guests were coming in. He was sharing the good news. In fact, the original Greek goes on to say this, there was not even a sign of hindrance before him. There was no resistance. The presence of God was real, and everyone everywhere was hearing of this good news. He shared his faith freely. He was compelled by the Holy Spirit. Now, this word compelled, according to Webster's Dictionary, simply means to drive or urge forcefully, irresistibly, or occur by overwhelming presence. In other words, there's so much of the Holy Spirit, there's so much of God's presence, there's so much of Jesus radiating inside of our lives that I just can't contain it any longer. Come on, have you ever been so excited about something that you just had to tell somebody? Come on. Man. That's what happens when you allow the presence of God to become so real in our lives. When you allow who he is to be radiated so much, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit produces a new fruit in you of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as this fruit begins to grow, as it begins to manifest itself inside of our lives, guess what? We can't contain it anymore. We've got to let it out. I wonder, are you compelled to multiply? Are you satisfied just sitting in a seat? Every Christian should read the Bible. Do we agree? 
Every Christian should pray, correct? Every Christian should go to church. We should treat others with love, right? Absolutely. But God wants us to do so much more. He's compelling us not just to be dust-collecting Christians. In fact, John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said it this way. I tell you the truth. Let me pause there. I love that Jesus tells us the truth. Right? He says, he says this a lot. He says, I tell you the truth. You can believe this. This is a fact. This is going to happen. He said, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. But then he goes on to say this, and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Man, we, we look at this scripture, and for me, it troubles me some because I think Jesus did some pretty incredible things. I mean, Lazarus come out, and Lazarus comes hopping out of the tomb in his grave clothes. He spits in the mud and he makes, or in the dirt and makes mud and puts it on a guy's eyes and suddenly he can see. Those are incredible things. And yet here Jesus says, man, you're going to do the same things I've done. In fact, you're going to do greater things. How is that possible? With the infilling of the Holy Spirit's. Allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide. In fact, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Our text today says that nothing came between Paul and him sharing his faith. What was it that pushed him forward? I believe that it was a fire that he wasn't about to let go out. Do you remember, I want you to think back a few years. Now, some of you are teenagers. It's just like last month. But I want you to think back to youth camp days. Anybody go to youth camp when you were a kid? Okay, a portion of us in the room went to youth camp. If not, just pretend with us for a moment. You go to youth camp and you're hanging around with five or six hundred youth teenagers and during the worship time everybody floods to the front of the room and, and you're worshiping. It's all exciting and you're, you hear the message and you're challenged and you're compelled and all these things and you leave camp and you're like, man, I'm going to win my school. I'm going to change my world. It's going to be awesome. And then two months later, school starts and the fire has gone out. Some of you right now were coming out of this series on the book of Acts and, and you've got that excitement. You're like, man, something's going to change. Something's got to give. Well, I'm going to be used by God. I'm going to do great things for God. God's going to flow through my life. It's going to be awesome. But my fear is we're going to get two, three, four, five, six weeks down the road and the fire is going to go out. I, I want to look this morning about three observations of a compelling fire number one is this the fire must keep burning come on the fire must keep burning how did this all begin if you go back to the beginning of the book of acts the believers were joined together in the upper room they were waiting for this outpouring of the holy spirit this promise that jesus told them 
about. So how did they stoke that fire? How did they make sure the fire didn't go out? Well, three things they were doing. Number one, they were constantly united in prayer. They were constantly united. Come on, look at this. It doesn't say occasionally united in prayer or periodically united in prayer. But they were constantly united, one voice one calling, one promise. Church, I want to encourage you to be here on Wednesday nights as we seek the kingdom of God, as we spend time in worship and honoring God, as we have one voice raised toward heaven, believing and, and, and trusting that God's going to pour out his spirit. Let me just tell you, he does time and time and time again. I'm going to challenge you, be here, just as the early church was united in prayer. If we want to see God move in and through Encounter Church, we must be a people of prayer. Every great revival, every great outpouring of the Holy Spirit began with somebody crying out in prayer. Somebody kneeling before the presence of God and saying, Lord, we need you today more than ever before. We can't do this without prayer. The second thing, they joined together regularly with one goal. The Bible says they met together regularly. They met in homes. They met together. People, a church, let me just challenge you. Make church a priority. Make this time on a Sunday morning a priority. Well, pastor, I can, I can be a Christian. I can go to heaven without going to church. That may be the case. You can jump out of an airplane without a parachute, but it helps a lot if you have one. Come on, you understand what I'm saying here? We need this time. This is that moment of refreshing. This is that moment of renewing. This is that moment of, of helping us to, to strengthen and to grow. The Bible says we're sharpening one another. We're, we're helping one another. You need times in life groups. Get signed up for a life group. Man, the, uh, they're available today. They're beginning to fill up. You need to get signed up today for a life group. So they were constantly united in prayer. They joined together regularly with one goal. And number three, they sought God and God alone. God was their focus. God was the agenda. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added. Let God be the very focus of your life. Let God be the core of your existence. Let God lead you. Let God pour out his spirit into your life. What was the response? As they began to do these three three things, what happened? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Take a look. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, come on, say all. Come on, all the believers... We're meeting together in one place. Come on, that's important. Let me, I, gotta, I can't pass that up yet. All the believers. Why is that important? Because if you have somebody over here that's going one direction, and somebody over here that's going another direction, and somebody over here that's going another direction, you've got a, a small core that's trying to move in the correct direction with God, it's going to get chaotic, right? So we've all got to be on one page. We've all got to be together. So they all joined together. Church, we are the same. Man, we can have so many things that take our attention, don't we? Right? And, and not bad things. They're not bad things, but they, they take our attention away from the things of God, and God's got to be, be the very core of our existence. Yeah. 
And all the believers met together in one place. Verse 2, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present, come on, say everyone, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. At this point, they had a choice to make. Do they stoke the fire and keep the fire burning, or do they let the fire go out? I'm glad they chose to stoke the fire. Let's go back to our text this morning. If we look at the book of Acts, when it comes to a conclusion, do you remember where we find Paul? He, along with the crew, have been shipwrecked, and they've ended up on the island of Malta. Now, Malta is just south of the tip of Italy, approximately 660 miles south of Rome, where Paul is going to face trial. Now, if you were traveling there today, uh, you would take a couple of ferry rides, several turns, a few toll roads, and, and 14 hours, 17 minutes later, you would end up in Rome. However, Paul was stuck in Malta for three months before they boarded the ship for Rome. But here's what I find interesting. When they got to the coast of Malta, the locals did something very interesting. The very first thing that the locals did on that cold and rainy night, the Bible says it was cold and rainy, the first thing they did was they built a fire. Now, let's process this a little bit. The book starts with a fire, and now it's ending with a fire. Why was the fire in Malta important? Number one, it provided warmth. Again, I just told you it was a cold, rainy day. They built a fire to give warmth. These guys have been shipwrecked. Many of them swam to shore. So now it's cold, it's rainy, they're wet. The fire is going to warm them. About 10 years ago, when my wife and I first got here, we sat down with the remnant of people that were in this body of believers, and we began to try to figure out, who is this church? What do we stand for? What's our goal? What, what do we desire? What do we want to accomplish? And one young lady, a teenager in the crowd, raised her hand, and she said this. She said, Pastor, we need to be a warm church. We need to be a warm church. So I kind of pressed that a little bit. I said, well, tell me, what do you mean by a warm church? Are you saying that we need to turn the, the temperature up, that it needs to be hot in here? What are you saying by a warm church? And she said, we need to be a place where people can feel real love. A, a love that's not contingent upon them meeting a list of requirements or meeting human expectation. We need to love them as God loves them, as God cares for them. We need to love them and let God take care of the details. That's our desire. Here at Encounter Church, our desire is to reach the broken. Our desire is to reach the lost. Our desire is to reach in that person that perhaps is just messed up. Anybody in the house, were you once messed up? Anybody still messed up? No, don't raise your hand. 
But that's the kind of people we want to be, to reach those that perhaps no one else wants to reach. We've got to offer warmth. The second thing is change. Now, Paul and the crew, they needed change of of clothing. They were wet. They were cold. They needed to, to warm up with new, clean clothes. It's a physical experience for them. But for us, it's a spiritual change. Allowing God to begin to do a work from the inside out. In fact, Romans chapter 12 says it this way. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. See, here at Encounter Church, we're not as concerned about you looking the part on the outside. We want God to do the work on the inside. Right? Because we can, we can dress up all day long. We can look the part all day long. We can try to be what we're not all day long. We can put on that face, that false face all day long. But until we're changed on the inside, nothing is going to last. Nothing is going to make a difference. Got to allow God to change you from the inside out. And the third reason they built a fire was for community. I stated a moment ago, we believe in community. Paul He believed in community. The island of Malta, they believed in community. They gathered together, even though it wasn't easy or convenient. I would venture to say that if suddenly we had a large water area right here by the church, and let's say that a ship came in and was wrecked, and I put out a text that said, hey, I need all hands on deck. we got to build some fires, and it's rainy, and it's cold outside. I don't know how many would show up. Why? Because it's not convenient. I don't want to stand outside when it's cold. I don't want to stand outside with cold rain. It's not a good deal. But they understood the importance that it wasn't out of convenience. It was out of community. They chose to step up. We believe that community is important. Why? Because people matter to God. Right? All people matter to God. How do I know that? Because John 3, 16 says, for God so loved people, that's what he means by the world. He's not just talking about the physical landmass. God so loved people that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. So if God loves people so much that he's willing to allow his son to be sacrificed on the cross of Calvary for people that are messing up, shouldn't we in turn do everything we can to reach those outside these walls? To multiply. Shouldn't it compel us to do something for the kingdom of God? Why? Because we're built for community. We need one another. Our second observation of fire is this. The fire may bring opposition. Paul experienced that. Look what it says in verse 3 and 4. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging on his hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. Verse 6, the people waited for him to swell up and suddenly drop dead. Wow. 
These are the same people that a few moments ago built a fire and said, come on up. Man, we're so glad you're on the island. We're so glad you're here. Come on, we've had a fire going. We have some hot dogs. We're going to roast them. we got some s'mores in just a little bit. It's going to be a great time. Oh, he's a murderer, no less. He's going to die. When we face opposition, we face opposition in numerous ways. Sometimes it's fickle people. Paul was facing some fickle people. He faced the snake bite, difficulty, struggles, words of judgments. The question is, how do you respond when opposition comes your way? You see, when you begin to move forward with the things of God, you're going to face issues. It may be from people around you, the people that were once on your side. You know, that's what always surprises me. A lot of times when you face that opposition, it's that person that just a few weeks before was saying, man, I'm on your team, I got your back, I'm right beside you, and then the snake bites you in the hand, and they say, he must be a murderer. He's going to swell up and die. It may be the enemy, Satan. But understand this, if you remain faithful in your journey, you're calling by God to multiply. I believe that God will see you through to the other side. Why? Because he is always faithful. God is always dependable. He is capable of taking us through anything, through any storm that we face. I want to challenge you, don't give up. Why? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says it this way. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, in other words, this ministry, we never give up. Because God in his faithfulness has given you this new anointing, this new power, this forgiveness, this opportunity to be a minister, to be a witness for him. I challenge you today, don't give up, but allow it to compel you forward. Number three, the fire must be consistent. Come on, it can't be, well, the fire's burning on Sunday morning, praise God. Oh, pastor, that power was great in the house of God this morning. The fire was going, and tomorrow you live like hell. Right? There's got to be a consistency in your life. You can't say, well, God, I give you everything. God, I surrender it all. God, I walk with you. Lord, I praise you. Lord, I honor you. And tomorrow you're like, but I'm going to leave you on the shelf today. I'll be back after work. Oh, we chuckle. But how often is that really what we do? God, I'll give you more time next time I go to church. Let us hold tightly, the Bible says, without wavering to the hope we affirm. Let's hold tightly to the hope that we have in God. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. If God is consistent, if God is faithful, and we say we trust him, why don't we remain consistent 
in the fire that he has set upon us. Look what it says in Acts chapter 28. Beginning verse 7, it says this. Near the shore, this is in Malta, where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. We wel- he welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he was healed. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we needed for the trip. Here's what I get out of this. Paul was trusted. And and why was Paul trusted to invest in Publius's father, the, the chief official of the island? Why was he trusted to invest in his dad? Because of the consistency in his walk with God. But not only was he trusted with Publius's father, but suddenly the same group that just a short time before was calling him a murderer and waiting for his death, the same fickle people that were around the fire that night see this consistency and a change begins to occur on the inside of their lives and they come to Paul and looking for a healing in their body. Come on, God gave an opportunity to multiply. This was done because of consistency in Paul's life. So what's the result? As we stoke this fire, as we continue to add wood to this fire, as we continue in this journey that God has called us us to be on, what is the result of it all? The fire will spread. It'll multiply. I found it interesting that the book of Acts begins and ends with a fire. On the onset, Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 4, it says the Holy Spirit came upon each of them and what looked like tongues of fire or flames of fire rested upon each and every one of them. And now in chapter 28, as they're on the island of Malta, they built of fire. And I began to process through this idea of the fire, and I I couldn't help but think of the great philosopher from when I was a kid. Some of you know this philosopher. His name's Smokey the Bear. And Smokey the Bear would always say this, only you can prevent what? Forest fires. Only you can prevent forest fires. And I began to think about this and relating it to our walk with Christ and this fire that he's placed inside of our lives. And I decided to put a little spiritual twist on it. And here's what I've come up with. Only you can promote spiritual fires. Only you can promote spiritual fires. In other words, are you allowing the fire of God to continue to burn in your lives or are you stifling out the work that the Holy Spirit has set in motion? Are you stifling out what he wants to do in and through your Christian walk? You see, as a believer, 
yeah, we live in glass houses. There's going to be judgments. There's going to be fickle people. But we must continue to say, continue to say this. Lord, if not me, then who? Lord, Lord I, I'm willing today to multiply. God, I'm willing today to continue on this mission. God, I'm willing today to be used by you. You see, the book of Acts is still being written today. I'm not not saying that more words are being added to the Bible, but what I mean by this is it's our responsibility, your responsibility, my responsibility to continue the fire that has been placed inside of us, to allow the Word of God to spread to those that are desperately in need of the love of God. I want to challenge you today. Don't leave today simply saying this. Well, the last six months in this series were good. I learned a couple things. And then we file that away. And we think to ourselves, what's next? What's next? See, this series, the reason we spent six months on the book of Acts is it was so important that we build that foundation it was so important that we, we learn that process. It was so important that we catch that hunger, that compelling force. And now what do we do? We put it into action. We begin to move forward. We look for opportunities. We stoke that fire. We spend time in his presence. We worship together. We make God a priority. We go outside of these walls, even when it's not convenient, even when it's not easy. And we make a greater impact. We multiply for His kingdom. Are you ready? Our journey begins now. I didn't say my journey. I didn't say the church's journey, I said our journey. Our journey begins now. Would you pray with me? Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.